Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 719 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. That is episode 719 for those, those of you keeping track. Hey, I have another great episode lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest is Jamie Shanks. Jamie is a repeat visitor to Accelerate, and as well, he is the CEO at Sales for Life, and author of a book titled Spear Selling, Spear all in uppercase letters, the ultimate account-based sales guide for the modern digital sales professional. So Jamie joins me on this episode of Accelerate to talk about the factors that really drive sales growth. And we're going to touch on a number of topics. Uh, one that's really interesting is, you know, we're talking about sales enablement and why Jamie believes sales enablement really needs to modernize its approach to supporting sellers. And we have an interesting talk also about the fundamentals of sales, what some people call the soft skills. And we'll talk about really how essential they are. But more important, we're going to dig into why it's hard to get sales leaders to buy in to actually investing and training their sellers sellers on these, these soft skills, quote-unquote soft skills, which I actually believe, as many of you know that listen to the show, these soft skills are actually the hardest skills to master. So we're going to get into all that and much, much more. Now, before we get to Jamie, I want to take a quick second to talk about my sales growth planner. Now, this is the ultimate planner and tracker for high-performance sellers and sales leaders. And now, the Sales Growth Planner was designed to help you identify your big, bold sales goals and give you a step-by-step framework to enable the learning and the personal growth you need in order to achieve them. So, as all designed by me, the Sales Growth Planner is designed to help you act uh, on your highest priorities, ensure that you hold yourself accountable. It's all based on a planning format that I've successfully used for over four decades as a top producer and high-growth sales leader, the thought and effort you put into creating your plan will be repaid with interest at the end of 12 months. So become the best version of you. Visit saleshouse.com forward slash planner to get your sales growth planner today. That is saleshouse.com forward slash planner. Okay, let's jump into it with my guest, Jamie Shanks. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. It's been a while. It has. It has. So speaking of a while, so when I was doing my preparation for our talk today, and I, you know, one thing I do, I go to people's sites and look at their updated blog posts and so on. But but the first thing that popped up was I had the saved uh, post <laughs> from your site from 2015. Wow! And yeah, and it was uh, infographic that uh, somebody that. 
I don't know, third party contributor, Dennis Yu. I don't know if he was, works for you or did work for you or whatever. Yeah. Put together about the sort of now infamous or legendary Forrester report that talked about all the doom and gloom for B2B sellers. And I thought it'd be sort of interesting, sort of. Here we are. Uh, four years on from that and approaching within a year of what they consider was going to be sort of D-Day for B2B sales and and sort of go through <laughs> that and see what your your take is on that. Um, so I want the big takeaways from that report. Forrester claimed that uh, back in 2015 that by 2020, 20% of B2B sellers will have lost their jobs. But arguably, you could make the case that actually B2B sales employment has actually increased during that time. <laughs> Well, it turns out that I'm going to lose my employment as a prognosticator. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think at the time, everybody saw the movement between field sales to inside sales. And there was a movement at that time. You know, the word social selling, the, Mm -hmm. the concept that we helped pioneer, was only founded in 11, 2011, 2012. So right. it was in its early days. But, uh, you know, AAISP, American Association of Inside Sales Professionals at that time, uh, was also using some of Nigel's, uh, trying to recall Nigel's last name, who kind of came up with Sales 2.0. And it was this emergence right. of everybody moving from field to inside and that not everybody was willing to make that cut. And the reality is there was more productivity and yield and throughput per seller that could be had from inside sales. I actually think that overall, where I failed in that model is that most sales leaders, when they acquire budget, when they think about growth, compounded annual growth rates, what they really end up focusing on is the first playbook that they're very accustomed to, which is about increasing the average number of, or the number of sellers on their team. It's the most common, you know, mm-hmm. operational expense that a VP of sales knows how to do. I, I now I'll make another bold prediction that in the next five years, there will be a scaling back. I can't tell you how much that will be, but there will be a scaling back in that massive growth of just hiring, 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 because, you know, well, for, for SDR type people, inside sales or account execs or both? Well, I think that the first natural place that the CFO is going to look at is the largest line item, which will be field sales. And they'll start thinking about uh, the rate of return I need to get from a hundred or $150,000 seller is you know, X times Y equals Z. And I think that there will be less investment in just throwing bodies in every geographic territory and every vertical. And there'll be more scrutiny in thinking about how do we just create more efficiency from what we have? How do we create more yield throughput? Uh, That's my bold prediction. Mm -hmm. But I think where we got it wrong was there's not going to be the demise of sellers because what's happened over the last five years is that the same playbook is being run. They're just throwing bodies at the problem but we're starting to see and technologies and technology well technology changed dramatically in that in that time horizon it's actually been incredible to see sales performance technology expand yeah right but by the same token over that period of time we haven't seen sales performance expand no, and if you look at Miller Hyman's CSO Insights data, which mm-hmm. show that we're having a decrease in the percentage of sellers that are hitting quota attainment. Yeah, well, and even if you look at win rates within various industries, certainly the win rates are, especially in the companies that are tending to use the technologies most aggressively, the win rates are fairly low. And 
So I, what do you think that portends? Because that, that, to me, speaks to the fact that what's happening is just not sustainable. I mean, if you make these huge investments in technology, which primarily, granted, are geared toward top-of-funnel activities, at some point you have to see an improvement, see that flow through <laughs> down to the bottom of the funnel and we seem to be have a disconnect right there on that. It, it's a car. It's a carpet bombing essentially. So mm-hmm. it's air cover, trying to get as many meetings as possible, trying to hit as many territories as possible. I think let's actually look at it at a macroeconomic scale. The economy has been doing great over the last ten years. Your American economy. I'm in Canada here, and so <laughs> we'll say reality, North America. North American economy has been doing very well. So companies are in. Investing with a growth mindset, investing with a top-line revenue mindset, if, as many predict, the economy slows, I think that we'll have more of a bottom-line approach, more of a profit-first approach. And that's when companies will start thinking about, I need greater return from what I have, rather than just massive investments, Mm -hmm. which is creeping up the cost per seller enormously. Or let's hire sellers in every geographic market we can. Well, not every market is as profitable as it could be. Let's think about yield and throughput from what we have. I, 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 that's what I think is going to happen. Well, I, I, I tend to agree. I, mean, I think that there's a lot to that. And the, <laughs> the question then is, though, what does that change look like? So let's take, we've had this incredible growth in inside sales and certainly, as I said, top of funnel infrastructure, SDRs, BDRs, and so on, lead, investments in lead gen and all of our sales engagement technologies and and meeting intelligence, all these other new categories that have popped up. In your mind, what, where do you think that's going to go? I mean, are we going to see a, a reversion to some degree saying, look, you know, maybe we've gone pendulum swung too far relative to technologies. We've got to go back, be a little more face-to-face. Or what do you think is going to happen? I'll tell you about, I'll tell you a story. So uh, I like when you're part of, yeah, when you're part of an uh, entrepreneur association group, it's called Gestalt. So it means a Gestalt means don't give advice, tell stories that allow people to uh, identify with that story and make their own decisions. So I'm going to use Gestalt here for a second. Uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, we win a Fortune 50 company to scale digital selling or social selling training mm-hmm. amongst their thousands of sellers. It was the first time, and I told this on a webinar a couple of weeks ago, it was the very first time I encountered artificial intelligence at a real world, applicable, scalable motion. Here's what was happening. What we teach, imagine if you were dealing with a, a seller dealing with inbound leads, being able to parse their total addressable market, all of their leads, based on relationships, and then using kind of like a Pareto's law, focus on the accounts that have the strongest social relationships against mm-hmm. existing customers. Using LinkedIn as the basis of the tool. Using LinkedIn right, as right, the basis. Right. Well, this company was also pairing that data with all kinds of demographic, firmographic, you know, usage data from the customer. And it was feeding an algorithm to the seller that says, this customer is what we call a hand raiser. This is somebody who is demonstrating the right activities that show buying intent. They combined those data sets and they fed it to the sellers. Here's what was the result. The result is they pared down the lead flow per rep by 80%. They actually would only deliver 20% of the previous volume of leads. Yet, conversion and results doubled in 90 days. What they realized is that the well, carpet the carpet bombing okay. mentality is, hey, give me a thousand leads. I'll call them all. Give them all equal love. Something good will come out of it. What if 
We only spoke to a fraction of those and dealt with a fraction of those. So the answer is, I don't, I don't know necessarily where it might be going other mm-hmm. than the fact that it, this is the beginnings. This is like the, uh, we're in the caveman days mm-hmm. of being able to identify smarter, better, faster ways that one individual can create greater return on investment. Thus, the thesis is that over time, I might not need as many human bodies to accomplish the same or greater results. So that's where I still believe that CFO mindsetted chief revenue officers might start looking at achieving more with less. Sure. So let's take your story, for example, because I like that yep. story. Is yep. So one of the obvious changes is I said, look, instead of insisting that we have 5x pipeline coverage we're we're going to be at 2x pipeline coverage and you know close rates win rates tend to be the reciprocal of the the pipeline coverage ratio so so they were suddenly were closing 50% of their deals cuz the reps themselves had more time to actually work the deals in a quality method in a quality manner as opposed to what they were doing before and then now they said okay we're sort of at that that level then how do we scale from there? And this is, I think, is this is this is a tricky part for many sales leaders today because they understand this whole idea. Of, it's not all of them, it's a few now, but the, I think the realizations are beginning to dawn that that they've gone over the top relative to pipeline coverages and other things, and the, and just the burden that puts on a seller, right? Because look, if you got a five x pipeline coverage, you got to close five big deals a month. You can't work 25 big opportunities. I'm going to do right? what you measure me towards. So if you measure me to 5X pipeline coverage, right. somehow Salesforce is going to show 5X pipeline coverage. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so so I, I had spoken at a conference a couple weeks ago, and I put the challenge to the, the sales leaders there. I said, so you really want to do the opposite. Is, is start with what your desired win rate is, and then say, okay, how can we scale that? So you just sort of described a story of a company who's somewhat doing that. So, so how is that client looking at how they're, okay, we're winning 50% of our deals now, our 50% of our qualified opportunities. How do we scale that? Mm-hmm. Don't know the second part of that equation yet. Yeah. So all, all that I know thus far is what they've done is made it more efficient per rep to now what they, now the input, so they doubled conversion and then on the back end, they were winning more deals. It all flowed into winning sure. more deals. But we haven't got to the scale motion. How do we get 10% compounded growth, 20% compounded, 50, and so forth? That part of the story, I don't know yet. I only know that they've solved for X. And it's an inevitability that they eventually figure out why. But most companies haven't solved for X yet. Well, but if you do, in that case, if you do solve for X, it actually, to my mind, it actually becomes almost a little bit easier to scale because... What you're saying is, look, we've proven predictably not that we close one out of five, that we can close one out of two. Now, what are the attributes that enable us to do that? It could be the person, could be the product market fit. I mean, you have you content have, and you yeah. have you have data that tells you. That's the thing yeah. in all these scenarios. And this is, but this is the part that that I think makes sales leaders so hesitant about it, is they've been drilled into them that somehow we have to have, <laughs> we got to go prospect the crap out of things, so we have this huge pipeline coverage. And it's like a security blanket. And, and it's a security blanket all the way up the line, starting from the seller to the frontline manager to the sales leader to the VP to the CEO. They can point to somebody and say, look, we've got so much interest in our product. 
And yet no one seems to come to them and say, well, yeah, but you're, <laughs> you've got a crappy, crappy win rate. What are you doing about that? Where I think and where I'm seeing also white space, I can tell you where we want to move our business mm. and where I would say the weakest part of sales performance or sales enablement is actually at the front line sales manager and the second line front and second line sales managers. So, you know, we would say kind of the manager director mm-hmm. level and then mm-hmm. at the RVP or, or GM level, they're, they're running a playbook that had been run from 20 years ago. They're, they are pulling the same Longer. plays that, that they've been executing forever. And there is a lack of acumen, lack of uh, knowledge transfer, lack of courseware that has ever been developed or at least getting in their hands to teach them to be you know, better leaders, better mm-hmm. coaches, but to look at things differently. Um, I would say in our world, in this sales training world, it is the lightest of all of the delivery mechanisms that are going out in the market. So that in lies that opportunity that I think that the average chief revenue officer has not taken the time to think of the business as if they were a CFO and look at it from a profit first mentality mm-hmm. and attack a problem as if a CFO would attack it. They've attacked it from the same mindset that we as sellers did. You know, call, 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 book as many meetings as we can, throw as much over the fence as we can, win deals, live live a quarter mile at a time or 90 days at a time, and just be happy with the results. I don't think it's like working in, not on the business. Yeah, well, I th- yeah, certainly no argument with any of that. I mean, I think that and you make a point in something you've written recently about managers have to become investors or have the investor mindset. And I certainly think that's true in terms of investing, in terms of in the capacity. And there's so little investment in the capacity uh, other than just raw hiring of people. But uh, as to your point, very little development of the capabilities of the individuals with them. And we have, again, we sort of had, uh, I'll ask you the question, sir, what you see from your experience and the work you're doing, how we break out of the cycle is, you know, we're seeing average duration of tenure of salespeople and sales managers, VPs of sales, falling fairly rapidly. I mean, you hear yeah, anecdotal data. Or something, 17, 17 months, months. Yeah, average. I heard that of the VP of sales. VP of sales, and they have an SDRs, so I think, are between 12 and 14 months. And I mean, how does anybody function in that type of environment when there's such rapid turn? But then you look at the incentives, as we talked about before, and the incentives are out of whack. So you have out of whack incentives you're trying to drive people to. The incentives don't create more productivity per individual. And we seem to be stuck in this loop because I think everybody thinks that the problem is this person just doesn't know how to utilize the tools and technologies that exist to to make things more effective. And yet, that's not the solution. And and actually, so what you're saying is perhaps – and I'm a Canadian, so I may have to use a hockey analogy, and I'm filled with analogy. I'm a a hockey fan. Yeah, they are not getting enough time on skates. They're not practicing enough because – Look, at, I'm, I've been a CEO of Sales for Life for seven years, and I feel like I'm in second gear of learning. There's, sure. There is infinitely more I don't know than I know kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that's seven years in one role. So I can see your point that if there's this much transition and there's this much 90-day focus working in a business, not on a business, uh, I can see that it just... It doesn't afford the luxury of learning and development, future thinking, 
um, looking at things at 30,000 feet, it just, it just doesn't allow any time for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe we are in this inflection period where, yes, we've had, I call it the golden age of sales in some respects, because we have what are, and oftentimes, these pretty incredible tools that sellers can use now, but we haven't really figured out how to use them. And, and that's, you know, I think once we begin to figure that out and once we get more tools, actually people, the answer, I won't say technology is always the answer, but right now the tools are so focused on top of funnel. It's like, well, that's great. But, you know, selling really takes place in the middle of the funnel, right? I mean, prospecting is one thing, but I'm maybe a, a distinct minority who thinks that's still primarily marketing activity, even though I spent years cold calling myself and so on and, and building my career that way. Yeah, I've always sort of felt that was the case. So, you know, what I consider these core selling actions that happen in the middle of the funnel that really dictate whether you win or lose the deal, you haven't begun to apply the tools and technologies there in a way to help sellers help their buyers make decisions. Well, I actually have a question for you then because um, this is something that I've been thinking about lately. Mm-hmm. Now, we're in, this, we're in this sales performance, sales training universe, right? Right. And I believe there's more curriculum IP methodology in that very framework, that stage that you talk about, the, the middle of the funnel, um, than any other part of the kind of buyer journey or seller life cycle. Why is it then that there, there might be some dis, 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 you know, disparity of what people are working on or skill set? Why, if there's that much horsepower in the world to solve the middle of the funnel, uh, why is why are we struggling with that? Number two, why is our own industry so massively fragmented with a million ideas in that middle of the funnel? And there's no there's no transformer juggernaut of our own industry. It's it's the most fragmented cottage industry in the world. So yeah. why hasn't somebody come along and said this is the universal truth in that middle of the funnel? Well, <laughs> don't, Loaded how, much, how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> that's my show, I can tell you. Well, I, I, there are no universal truths. That's one, right? So I believe there are things that are close to being universal truths, but they're applied individually and uniquely in every situation. And I think that that's one of the problems that they were having is that, yes, there are a ton of methodologies out there. I, I might disagree slightly in terms of where the, the horsepower is really being focused on these days because I think it's being disproportionately focused on the, the top of the funnel. Mm. Just because, it's funny because I think the Just because the tools are more there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think... <laughs> I think the closest we have to universal truth is that you know, our social psychology, the work that's been done there about how you connect with another person, how you engage their interest, how you start building trust. You know, these fundamental building blocks, I think not enough attention is paid to them. What we say is, look, here's a process to use. Go out and use this process. But it assumes that everybody, in fact, has built this, this core foundation of human skills that enabled them to make those processes and those methods work. And then, and in my opinion, we don't. And so yeah. what we're doing as, a, as an industry is we're just, again, we're assuming people are human beings, good human beings, or functional human beings, when in fact, in a selling situation, I would say 90% of them aren't. <laughs> and so... They're being robotic. They're being 
process driven rather process than driven, a, right. authentic driven. Yeah. Right. And you know, the biggest example of that is you know, the industry and I mean I'm guilty of this as well. I mean I've certainly have talked about this in the past, is yeah, you know, the industry is guilty of this idea, sales industry, of saying, look, the process a buyer goes through is this it this linear process, right? Stage driven, <laughs> da 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 da. And I have to admit, I I learned, I was fortunate enough to learn fairly early in my career that come to the realization, no, that's that's not the case, right? This is not the way it works. It didn't track with the, what I was experiencing with the buyers. And I always thought, okay, I'm sort of a lonely voice out here talking about this. But then fortunately, you know, a year ago, Gartner comes out with their research on buyer enablement and the buyer journey that they describe and they put in their diagram, they call the Brent Adamson who helped lead that. You know, calls it their spaghetti diagram because the lines exactly. go all over, right? Yeah. And yet, since they have brought that out, I've not seen one major sales training company say, hmm, we're doing a major rethink of Correct. how we look at this based on this data that came out. Not one. Well, because if, if think of the middle of the funnel. That means that a Miller-Hyman blue sheet or an Altify system mm-hmm. – which is about step one, two, yep, three, right. four, five would is useless. And, yeah. Well, it's, and, and it's, to, to Altify's point specifically, I remember reading an article by one of their executives, yeah, who was saying, you know, without a strong sales process, the seller won't know when to close. And I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? You know, if if a salesperson needs a process to tell them, now ask a question. It's like. What are they doing at sales? And what a poor job you've done of helping this person develop a sales sense and the sale human selling skills they need to engage with somebody and understand now is the time when we reach agreement on this. So, so yeah, so that's just an example where I think that, yeah, we've got a majority of sort of the, the sales training space marching down the path they've always marched. And there's this huge disconnect with buyers. And what they do is they give lip service to the idea that, Oh, now we've got 6.8 stakeholders in the decision, but haven't fundamentally changed how they go about it. Now, question, deeper, harder question. Now, this welcome, is your to show. The, welcome to the Jamie Shank show. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> well, those those human soft skills, mm. of course, I believe can be taught. But are they, now just think about this from a business standpoint: mm-hmm. can they be sold to a customer? As, as easily, and this might be the challenge in itself, like think about owning a business around mm-hmm. this, because how do you demonstrate, because that's the ultimate vaporware, right? Like how do you demonstrate you have learning skills and capabilities around the human, most human soft skill, intangible thing you can't touch? Because at least process and mm-hmm. things that we do are very tactile, right? That's, I'll admit that's that. where you gravitate to them. That's what, and so I wonder. I, I wonder. I'm just pondering this idea sure. to you that, th- that those soft skills would be so hard to demonstrate. They'd actually be very hard to sell conceptually into a business, and maybe that is why the industry has spent less time dealing on things that they know could be valuable, but hard to demonstrate. Well, and that's that's why you're going to tell all your friends about my venture, the sales house, because that's exactly <laughs> what we're doing. That well, is, we. Launched, I love my new podcast. This is great. <laughs> yeah, we launched we launched that late last year, and the yep. tail end of the third quarter last year. And it's geared specifically to this. Is right. Is how how do you help 
B2B sellers develop their own capabilities by initially focusing on the human soft skills. And, That's fantastic. That's yeah, fantastic. And because, yeah, look at my own career. Those were the keys to my success. Mm-hmm. I mean, I worked in highly complex technical fields all my career until I started my own company and even subsequent to that. And yeah, a history major. Um, working in very technical fields. I never had any training on how to sell major accounts. And I went from selling to small businesses, migrating over a period of years to selling to the world's largest enterprises. You're able to pull EQ. So uh, t- can, teaching EQ, essentially. Well, yeah, I think there's more to it than what people think as emotional intelligence. But yes, yeah. but yeah, that's, yeah, that is part of it. And I have a different way I structure and look at it than the EQ people do. But it's certainly, there's overlay. But a, a critical part and one of the critical soft skills is learning. And so with the sales house, as loyal listeners to the show know, since I post an ad about it every week on the show, is that it is about learning, right? Is you have to commit to spending five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, some period of time every day to expand your horizons in some dimension about the work that you're doing. Nothing helped me more in my career. I was a late bloomer to adult learning. I so I finished my master's degree at 25, mm-hmm. and I thought, no, I'm done. I knew it all. Yeah, I jumped into sales, learned the hard way, and it wasn't until I was about 30. I'm 40 now. It wasn't until about 30, I started, you know, accumulating knowledge, books, podcasts, mm-hmm. ebooks. Uh, now I listen to a book a week. Mm-hmm. I try to consume 52 books a week, or 52 books a year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I estimated in 2018, I read 150. That's books. fantastic. Well, I'd part driven by my podcast because I, I read my guest books, and yeah. but, but not entirely. And I don't read only about sales. And I think that's the other part that, that is such an important thing that we're not spending enough time with, with our you know, people coming into sales these days and the newer generation of sellers is this idea, you talk about acumen, and the acumen comes in many forms. You can say, well, there's relationship acumen, there's communications acumen, there's business acumen, there's customer acumen, and there's just knowledge about the world around them, mm-hmm. right? Is I can't say how many times that you know, I've been in a difficult situation. I've sold every continent but Antarctica, you know, selling to the Soviet Union back before the wall came down. You know, you had people in China, India, different cultures. But just the fact that I bothered to read something about those cultures, about those people, there was some basis for connection. So it's, yeah, I don't want people to think that it's just learning about sales because no, quite, uh, quite frankly, that's kind of boring after a while. I would say it's only about 25 to 33% of my content consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of it, as you can tell, like, what I'm trying to learn is to become a better CEO and business leader. Mm-hmm. And what it's teaching me, as you can tell through the conversation we had today, I'm learning how financial acumen right. applies to running a business unit, which a sales leader becomes. And a sales leader isn't just about thinking about quota attainment, 3x pipeline, number of meetings booked, number of flights and site visits you had with a customer. That's working in a business. Mm-hmm. Working on a business has you thinking uh, like a PNL, and that's where I'm trying to also, even though you know I, I, I'm really 
concentrated on social and digital selling. Uh, to justify those expenses, I'm trying to help VPs of sales rethink where they acquire things like budget. Right. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I know you, we've run out of time, but and you've been writing about this topic was helping your CFOs uh, acquire budget for CFO sales mindset, sales yeah. sales initiatives. So, urge people to go to the uh, Sales for Life blog to to read that. So, Jamie, tell people how they can learn more about you and connect with you. Fantastic. You can connect with me on LinkedIn anytime. Uh, our website is salesforlife.com. I just finished a book called Spear Selling, which the intent is it's the ultimate guide to modern digital selling through account-based selling. And it's uh, not enough companies were focusing their social selling efforts on specific account-based sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this book is very tactile, very play-by-play to help you. Um, but our job is pipeline. We were talking about top of the funnel, middle of the funnel. We are dead set experts on pipeline creation. Your world, middle of the funnel, isn't our expertise. Yeah. All right. Well, we should join up then. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, Jamie, fantastic to talk to you again. And we'll have to have you back because I, I had prepared a whole set of questions on account-based selling, and we didn't even get to those. So, Well, we'll that, that shows that we're able to go off on a tangent, because I'm sure you've had podcasts where it needed to be process-driven. Well, <laughs> not too many, but there have been a couple. So, uh, All right. Well, I appreciate it. It's been great talking to you, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. You take care. All right. Bye. Okay, friends, that was Accelerant for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. I also want to thank my guest, Jamie Shanks. Joining me again next week will be my guest, Wayne Cerullo. Wayne and I are going to be talking about the danger that sellers face by putting too much focus on data and diverting their attention and focus away from the, their prospects that they're trying to help. So instead of trusting their experience, we're seeing sellers depend more and more on the numbers and we're going to discuss the limitations of quantitative data in sales and try to answer the question, what is the real meaning of the data for sellers? So be sure to join us then. Now, before you go, I have a favor to ask. If you enjoy this podcast, if you listen to it regularly, then everyone here who works on the show would really appreciate it if you could take just a moment and rate and review Accelerate on iTunes. So thank you again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.